0: Well, good evening. Good evening. Um, I, I'm not sure why you know they decided to lie at the beginning on, on all that nonsense, um, but man, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Um, you know, I I, I think there were way better options um, than me, but I'm I'm glad I was asked. Now, um, I will admit that this is a little bit weird. So this is just a little bit weird for me because, now, not in a bad way, not in a bad way at all, in, in, a, very, in a very good way, and, and I'll explain that, because, you know, on one side of the coin, it, it, it feels like I'm back home with you all. I grew up in Kansas City, you know, lived there, you know, most of my life, was, went out with Alan to harvest when he went out there in 2012, was there on staff with him, and then it was almost exactly five years ago um, that me and my family, we, we moved to Ohio, and and so, you know, that's only been five years. And, and I, I, don't know, I don't even want to admit it, but I turned 50 and, you know, and just a few months ago. And so that's crazy. And so 45 years of my life here. And so it feels like I'm back home with you all. But then on the other side, it is amazing how many people I don't know. <laughs> and I'm quite sure that many of you don't know me. Uh, in these five years, the Lord continues to grow and change and mold all of the churches represented here today and in our fellowship for his own glory. And that's a very cool thing to see. I mean if in five years there were no new disciples, you know that, that actually wouldn't be anything to celebrate. But there is something to celebrate here because I don't know a lot of you. And a lot of you have come around in the last five years. And and that's exciting. And that's exciting for me to see. That's exciting for me to be a part of. And now my goal this week isn't necessarily to celebrate with you. My, I, I mean, I hope we enjoy our time together and have some fun together and that'll all happen. But my goal is to challenge you. My goal is to challenge you to keep up the work of building the kingdom of God. Our, our job is not to bring in the kingdom, but our job is to build the kingdom of God while we're on this earth. And we have a very serious job that God has given us. And God could have chosen any means to do that very work, but he's chosen to do it through us. And listen, when I say he's chosen to do it through us, I mean that very literally. He's chosen to do it through us in this room, those of us in this room tonight. And it's not my intent, certainly not my intent at all tonight, to disparage any other Christians or any other Christian groups, but I will say unapologetically that we in the Living Faith Fellowship as well as as any other Christian group know how to do it. But But the question is, will we keep it up? Will we continue to do it? Because here is what we need to recognize. Tonight, we need to recognize to whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given a lot. We've been given a lot in men like Alan Shelby and Sam Miles and Jeff Bartel, and Mark Trotter while he was still with us. And that list of names goes on and on of men who have invested in all of us, whether you know it or not. And we've been given a lot because of our spiritual heritage. We're going to talk about the importance of that tonight. We've been given a lot because of our discipleship DNA and the doctrine that's been passed down. We've been given a lot in our authorized King James Bible. And the understanding that we have of it. And so I just want you to know tonight that we've been given a lot. And let me say it one more time, to whom much is given, much is required. So as much as I would love to just sit around and celebrate and enjoy each other's company, we have work to do. Even this week, I mean, I know they call this a retreat. But I need you to engage also. And we have some work to do tonight and consider all that we have and where we're going, and what we're going to do with it. So as we get started, I just want you to ponder a question. I want to ask a question, and I want you to ponder it, and this is going to kind of set up where we're going, certainly tonight, but these next two nights as well. And here it is. If the Lord tarries, and I, you know, I don't know how he can, but if he does, let's just say. If the Lord tarries, will the church that you attend, will the Living Faith Fellowship still be standing in another 50 years? And when I say standing, I don't just mean meeting on Sundays. I mean standing on the truth of God's word. I mean standing on the King James Bible. Standing on biblical discipleship. I mean, we can all hope, we can all assume that that will happen. But I I don't think hopes and assumptions are enough. You see, all of us. We all need to take ownership and responsibility to ensure that in fact our churches and our fellowship does remain that they remain strong and fruitful. And whether you know it or not, maybe you're new to a church, you still have a part in that. Every single one of us have a part in what becomes of our individual churches and our fellowship collectively. So I want to challenge you over these next three, day, three days to take up the torch of, of being a part of that and taking that seriously and building God's kingdom, or at least to keep on keeping on. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about being builders of the Lord. Because, you know, there, God put in Sam and Alan and, and those guys hard a number of years ago to, to start what the, whatever the Living Faith Fellowship is, to start it. And to build that, first of all, within the individual autonomous churches, and then build a collective group, like-minded churches, to do something way bigger than ourselves individually, way bigger than even our individual churches, to do something together to change the world. And I, I think we can do it. If the Lord tarries, we should be able to do it. But not if we get complacent. And not if we lose sight of what God has for us. And so I want to challenge you to have that mindset um, over these next three nights. And we're going to do that out of some selective passages out of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great book on building. If you know about it, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. It's about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And I, I preached out of this book a couple years ago at my church. But it's, it's just a great book on building our individual lives, building our churches, building our fellowship. And if you are unfamiliar, just let me just give you a, like a 30-second you know synopsis of the of the book of Nehemiah. The, the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the rebuilding of Jerusalem shortly after the time of Jewish captivity by Babylon. And they started with the walls and the gates around the building around the city to just to, to fortify and reestablish you know what had been torn down over, over years of captivity. And Nehemiah, the author of the book, was the leader of that effort. Shortly before Nehemiah, a man by the name of Ezra, who also wrote a book in our Bible, he had led a group back, they had rebuilt the temple. But the city itself was still a mess. And it was broken down, it was completely unprotected, and there was much work to do to establish lasting worship in the very city whose purpose was the worship of God. And in the book of Nehemiah, we see a people at work, and there are great lessons in the book for us for building and teamwork and and working together and setting things up for future generations. Now, the problem with the book of Nehemiah, and we'll actually look at it Friday night, is it doesn't last, right? The work that Nehemiah and those kind of early believers that came back, those early Jewish uh, um, believers that came back to the the city, to rebuild it, it didn't, it didn't last past them. And that's what I want us to co- consider this week. Will what we have live past us? Will it live to future generations? And so we're, we're gonna explore a couple positive examples from this book, and then I said we're gonna close it out in chapter 13 with a negative example and a warning to, to, to keep us motivated um, to build what we need to build and to set things up for the future. So, I want to get into what we're going to look at tonight. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. And out of this chapter, we're going to see how we can protect our house. Protect your house. You know, the, that phrase, protect this house, that was a marketing slogan by Under Armour a number of years ago, and and the premise of that slogan is is, is pretty simple. Most of you know it. It's it's just you you can't allow defeat to come to your doorstep. When it comes to your home field or your home court, you have to take care of business and win. If you've been involved in sports or you've played sports, you understand the importance of home field advantage or home court advantage, you can't let somebody else come in and take that. And I want to apply that premise to our individual churches and to the Living Faith Fellowship as a whole tonight. We need to protect our house and all that we've been given. So that's our theme tonight. The, the theme is, is, is the work of protection. And we need to start there because of everything I already mentioned about what we have and what we've been given. And God forbid that we let it slip away under our watch no, we are responsible for protecting and passing down what we have. And in many ways, I know, you know, many of you are new. As I said, I don't, I don't recognize a lot of you. And many of you are new, that's great. But, but for many of us, like we're the first generation of Living Faith Fellowship. Some of you in this room were there from the beginning. I was one of them. And, and, and so we are responsible to passing it down. And Nehemiah understood this and to pass it down to future generations there in Jerusalem. And, and so that's why he came back to rebuild the walls, the gates to protect it. And they do it. And, you know, and, and if you know anything about Nehemiah, it's an amazing story. They rebuild the walls around the city and the gates. They re- do that in 52 days. That's, that's basically the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah, as the leader, immediately transitions to, to protect the people. They had protected the physical aspects of the city. In the second half of the book, Nehemiah is, is putting some things in place to protect the people. Because he didn't just care about the physical things, he cared about the people. And you see that from the very beginning of the work in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite, these were the enemies of the work, When those guys, when they heard of it, when they heard of Nehemiah's burden and Nehemiah's plan, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You see, this building project in in the city of Jerusalem was never just about a wall or even about the city. The wall had to be set in place so that the people could be established. Established in community with each other and in service to the Lord. Established in a way that would remain beyond their generation. And when I look at my church and our fellowship and the future of it, I want us to do all we can to protect what we have and to protect the people so that more will come. And that in five years from now, not only you'll be here, but there'll be a whole bunch more new ones. And I hope you want the same. this is a work we must do. I'm, I'm telling you, if we don't do it, If we don't do it now, there will be compromise in future generations, even in our churches, even in the Living Faith Fellowship. Listen, it has already happened in most churches across the country. There's too much at stake for us to lose sight of this. There's absolutely an assault of Satan on Christian homes and Christian churches today. And like I said, he's already infiltrated many of our homes and many of the pulpits across this country and across the world. And just by way of an example, let me give you a couple quotes from prominent evangelical pastor Andy Stanley. Yeah, yeah, you know what's coming. This is a sermon he preached on March 6th of 2022, 15 months ago. He said, this this is direct quote word for word. When it comes to knowing if there is a God and and if there is a God, what God is like. And when it comes to trying to figure out who God likes, does it, does it really come down to the Bible tells us so? And his conclusion to that statement and, and that ultimate question was no, it, it doesn't come down to the Bible tells us so. In fact, he went on to say, I mean, we're modern people, rational people. Are we really expected to believe what we believe or believe anything based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by potentially dozens of men only who didn't even know each other? over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, in a world without science, in the way that we think of modern science, and in a world where everybody believed in the gods or some kind of God, I mean, let's just be honest, all right? Weren't they making stuff up? I mean, weren't they just guessing? And then in a more definitive statement, he wraps up that introduction. That was an introduction to a a sermon. He said, The Christian faith does not rise and fall based on the accuracy or inerrancy of 66 ancient documents that we call the books of the Bible. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Christianity. And you might not like it that I called out Andy Stanley, but Alan does it all the time. So I figured it was fair game. <laughs> and I, I use him as an example also, because he is representative of the evangelical movement today. You know, obviously pastors one of the largest evangelical churches in America. But but the point is, he's he's not alone in those thoughts and those teachings. In fact, that's likely the majority position in Christian churches today. And some guys aren't willing to admit it that overtly. But it's absolutely what they believe. So let me ask the same question I asked earlier, just in a different way. Do you think that we as a fellowship are immune to that? The First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, the church that I pastor, has been around for 165 years and 1858 is when it was founded. And it's older than, than many states. Now, there's a lot of other pastors in here, and, and, and those churches, you know, Midtown started in officially 2007, right? 2005 as KCBT Midtown, 2007 as an autonomous church. Harvest, I think 1993 and 30 years. and Alan went out there in, in 2012. And, and Dan, I don't know how long have you guys been around now? Where's Dan? Reno? Six years. Right, where's, where's Lee? Lee, how long has Greater Hope been around? Almost 10. Ocala, Code, DBT has been around six or seven years, right? Where's Code? Six years. Well, we have other, and there's others. I'm sure plenty of guys that, that I'm missing. You add all those up, it's a lot of years. It's a lot of years of good, solid Bible doctrine, standing on the authority of the King James Bible, and that's all great. But will all the churches still last when, when we're gone? If the Lord tarries, and again, I don't think he will. Will your children, will my children, will those ca- coming behind us carry on the tor- torch? And the answer is that they won't if we don't protect our house. That obviously applies to our homes, and it applies to To our churches. Because listen, just even personally, if you don't prioritize the things of the Lord, do you honestly think your kids will? You can lie to yourself all you want, but the truth is they probably won't. Or at least most of them won't. Some will, and praise the Lord for that. But it will be in spite of you and not because of you. But will there be enough? And Nehemiah knew this same thing. He knew that building the wall wasn't enough. If so, the book would have ended in chapter six when the wall was complete but there's seven more chapters to go. And the work to protect the house of Israel really cranks up in chapter seven. So let's look at it, see what God will teach us tonight. I wanna just read verses one through six to set the context, and then then we'll pray and we'll get into our study on how we can protect our house. Nehemiah chapter seven, verse one says, "'Now it came to pass when the wall was built "'and I had set up the doors and the porters "'and the singers and the Levites were appointed "'that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, "'the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem.' For he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot, and while they stand by. And let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every everyone on his watch and one to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not built. And my God put into mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy, and I found a register of the genealogy of them, which came up at the first and, and found written therein, these are the children of the province that went up to the captivity of those that had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and came again to Jerusalem, to, Ju- Judea, to Judah, everyone to his city. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for what you've given us. Thank you so much for the men that we have to follow. Thank you so much for your word, And that we hold a complete, perfect, preserved word in our hands tonight. And thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you use this retreat in our hearts. Lord, I pray that that your Holy Spirit has free reign in our lives. And I I pray that your word is magnified. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to it. I pray that you're honored and glorified, Um, just as we sang about, and as you only deserve. And Lord, I pray that if there's anything that we need to get right in our lives this week, that, that we'll do it, and we'll we will do what we need to do to set things up for future generations to, to carry the torch. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've already noted, what we just read, the walls finished in Jerusalem. And so it's an exciting time for Nehemiah and for the workers. And the walls were built, and the doors were set. They had accomplished that in initial task, but Nehemiah, again, he, he knew the job wasn't done. He knew there was more work to do. And there are three areas that I want to analyze tonight that Nehemiah emphasizes in this chapter that, that gives us the protection of the people. And, and these are very simple, very practical. This is a very practical, practical message. All, all of them, every night will be, but this one in particular. But But these three things are super important that we all need to understand if we want to protect what we have. And there's some great insight in how we can fully protect our churches and our fellowship. And so the first element of protection that I want to look at tonight that we see in this text is that complete protection comes from understanding structured leadership. Complete protection comes from understanding structured leadership. Because I want you to notice The very first thing that Nehemiah did after the completion of the walls and the doors is that he appoints porters, singers, and Levites, and he puts his brother and then another guy in charge of Jerusalem. And what he does immediately, the the wall is finished in chapter 6, and chapter 7 starts with him setting up and structuring the leadership of the city. Look back at verses one and two again. Now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah the ruler of the palace charge over Jerusalem for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. Listen, this is so important because when it comes to maintaining biblical purity and living in accordance to biblical principles both in your home and in your church, the right leadership is key. And the structure of that leadership is key as well. The things you want to see in the leaders that we're training and developing, that's key. Because we see that structure break down into three areas. There are, these are the type of leaders that we are going to need to protect our house. These are the type of leaders that we want to train in LFBI. This is the type of leader that you need to be if you're going to protect your house and you're going to be part of protecting your church and part of protecting what we have in the Living Faith Fellowship. And listen, when you find those leaders, if, even if you're new and young, follow them. When you see guys that we're about to talk about, listen, nobody's perfect, but you're, these are the traits you're looking for. And, and, and the first trait that we see is the right leaders will watch. The right leaders will watch. And we see this from the porters that he started with in verse 1. And the porters were the gatekeepers or the watchmen. Look down at verses 3 and 4 because Nehemiah explains their job further. He says, And I said unto them to the porters, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Now, the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. You see, part of protecting is watching. And getting back to our introduction, this gets to being very careful about what we allow into our city, so to speak. Into our homes and into our churches. And we don't have the time tonight to go there, but Ezekiel 33 talks about the role of the watchman in some detail. And the sad truth is the church as a whole has has allowed a lot of stuff in that has no business being there. And it's because the porters, the watchmen, haven't been doing their jobs. And some leaders think that to build a church, you can't stay true to the Word of God. And that you have to shift and adjust and accommodate culture and science or whatever it was that Andy Stanley is spewing. And unfortunately, you can build a church, at least numerically that way, but not one that glorifies the Lord. God wants it done His way. Yes. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the washman waketh but in vain. So we've been given a job, but we have to do it His way. Paul expressed this same sentiment to the elders in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 when he gave them the following instructions in verses 28 through 31, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves within the church. Shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them? Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn, every, to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's the role of a leader. And listen, sometimes it comes with tears. And it's not an easy job. But man, it's the job that we've been given It's a job that God's given the the specific, certainly the pastors of the churches and the elders of the churches and the deacons of the churches. We have a job to protect. We have a, a job to watch. And we need you with us in that. And we need to train the next generation who will watch. And so how do you do that? How does a leader know how to watch and what to watch for and what not to let in and what to let in? And the answer is in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 7. You let the sun lead you. You follow the light. Look at verse 3 again. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. You see, the porters weren't to let anybody in through the gates in the dark. They needed the sun to be able to look them in the eye. They needed to be able to see who they were dealing with and to see if there were others behind them, you know, waiting in the dark in the back. They needed the sun to be able to discern the situation. And we know from Malachi 4.2 that the Lord Jesus Christ is the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. But unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow as the calves of the stall, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we obviously know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the word, according to John 1.1 and 1 John 1.1. And Psalm 119, verse 105 tells us that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, as, P- or as Peter said in 2 Peter 1.19, that we also have a more... Sure word of prophecy talking about God's word, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. So here's very, very simply, here's what that means: Watchmen need to know God's word and follow God's word. That's it. You should not lead according to your own opinions, or what the world tells you about leadership. So there's all sorts of books out there. There's all sorts of classes. There's all sorts of seminars. And, I'm, and, the, and they're not all bad. Most of them are. But they're not all bad. But listen, at the end of the day, and there's certain things, that, and as long as they point you back to God's word and, and they support God's word, fine. Do whatever you need to do. But unless the, the advice that you're giving, unless the counsel that you're giving, unless, unless the discernment, the decisions that you're making are according are to God's word and God's word alone, if, if you're using anything else, then you're doing it wrong. We're to use the word of God solely and point people, and lead people, and and understand people through that, through the lens of his word. And we protect our house through that because it is enough. It's sufficient. It lights the way. Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. So There's a lot of dark situations that we face. There's a lot of decisions that we have to make that are tough. And it seems dark and it seems hard to discern. But the entrance of his words gives light every single time. And it giveth understanding unto the simple. And I love that verse because I'm simple. And I need it broken down simply. I'm just not that smart. And God's word brings the light. And it gives understanding to a guy like me. And it can give understanding to you too. So the right leaders will watch, and they do that through God's Word. But then second, the right leaders will worship. And understanding the importance of what worship is, because who'd Nehemiah set in place after the porters? It was the singers and the Levites. Look again at verse 1. Now it came to pass, and the wall was built, I had set up the doors, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. And these two roles, the singers and the Levites, go hand in hand, and related to temple worship, the true the worship of God in the Old Testament. So not only do the singers and the Levites worship themselves, they led others in worship of God. And this is key. You, you need to identify and follow leaders that bring you closer to God and point you to God's word and lead you in true worship of him. In sacrifice and surrender and singing and all of it. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about all of that because the, the singers, right? There was the, the porters and the singers and the Levites. And, and the singers, guess what the singers did? They sang. That's oh, pretty cool, isn't it? And they were the praise leaders of the day. And it's interesting when you look through the, the registry of names because this is, you know, the, chapter seven is the longest chapter in the book of Nehemiah, and most of it's a list of names. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. It's a registry of the people that originally came back, starting with with Ezra. But but listen, when you go and look at that registry, it's interesting that you find them there. Verse 44, it says, the singers, the children of Asaph, and and 148. There were 148 of them that came back to Jerusalem. And their ancestor was the Levite singer Asaph, who wrote some of the Psalms. He wrote Psalm 73 through 83. He wrote Psalm 50, and he obviously lived well before this group came back from Babylon. And in fact, he was one of David's key, key song leaders. 1 Chronicles 16:7 says, "Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren." And David and Asaph were partners even in writing much of the music that Israel would sing for many years. Second Chronicles 29:30. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed their heads and worshiped. And I, and I point this out, again, very simply. There's nothing, there's, this is all like super simple. Like you're probably not even getting your money's worth tonight. I just, I just know the importance of what we're talking about. But I point this out just to understand the importance of singing in the worship of the Lord. And, and I know we talk about worship a lot in, in our churches, and, and we emphasize that, that worship isn't just singing, and that's absolutely true. It is sacrifice, and it is surrender, and, and all of that's true. But I also wanna make sure we don't minimize what singing to the Lord means to Him. And the importance that we place on worship through song in our churches in our retreats like this and and what god does in those times to prepare our hearts for what he has for us it, it's, it's a very important it's a very important thing psalm 66 4 says and all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee and they shall sing to thy name selah and it's obviously all throughout the bible and the reason we sing in church today is because it's an integral part of the worship system that God set up for us to follow. And, and, and listen, just like, just like anything, the, the singing and the songs that we sing, there's a protective element to it, but there's a danger to it if we let the wrong stuff in and all of it. And, and, and this is just an integral part of what we do for the Lord and having that sort of heart that is willing to outwardly praise him. Even in difficult times, And when we're willing to praise him, even in song, when we don't feel like singing, that's evidence, and it's part of walking in the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19 says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So praising the Lord through song, it is important. Don't minimize it. Again, there is a, a larger aspect of worship, though. It's not only singing. And the right leaders of homes and churches bring those homes. You bring your family. You bring the church to a point of true and full worship. Because the right leaders, listen, I think I put this on your outline sheet. The right leaders understand that worship is the point of life. That is the point of of, of what we are to do here. And, And we are to call people to it. To call people to true worship, to true sacrifice, to true surrender, to true praise from the bottom of our heart. And not live a Christian life of convenience. No, it's about worshiping Him. And make no mistake about it, that was absolutely the point of Jerusalem. I mentioned that in passing earlier. But Jerusalem, the city, was made for the purpose of worship. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 4, talks specifically about that purpose. And that's a prophetic passage that points to Jerusalem and the temple in the millennium. But it was just true historically as well. Isaiah 62, verse 1 through 4, says, For Zion's sake... Will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither call thy land any more the termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hefzimbah, and the Beulah, and the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. And there's a lot of doctrinal content in that, but, but the point was that Jerusalem was and will be the central point of worship. And even Jesus pointed the Samaritan woman to that end when she was recounting part of their conversation in John 4, verse 20. He said, Our fathers worship in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem. It was a place where men ought to worship. So God designed that city to be a place of worship. And, and and guess what? Why? That's where the temple was, right? And 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 I don't have to explain to most of you in this room that we don't do temple worship like they did in the Old Testament, and we're the church, we're not Israel, and we are now the temple. And so just as Jerusalem, because of the location of the temple, was made for worship and God designed it for such. God has designed our lives and our homes and our churches to be places of worship as well. Listen, I don't know what you think about your life and your purpose in this life, but the Bible says that you and I were created for him. We're created for his pleasure. Revelation 4.11 says that. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, you don't have to guess why you were created. Right? Was the age-old question? What's the meaning of life? Right? Everybody wants to know the meaning of life. Well, if they'd read the Bible, they'd find out. The Bible tells us. You don't have to guess why you were created. The Bible says we were created for God's pleasure. And according to the beginning of that verse, we were created to worship him, just like Jerusalem. And we need to protect that. We need to be about that. Is your life, is your home, is your church a place of true worship where you can give your life to something that's so much bigger than you? It's our job to make them so. And not be places of strife and contention doesn't mean that everything's perfect all the time. But they need to be places of worship. There's one more leadership trait that we see in these first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 7 that will enable us to protect our house, and that is the right leaders are worthy. And here's what I mean by that. There are a couple characteristics that we see in the leaders that Nehemiah points. Look at verse 2. And I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And this verse describes the type of man or woman God's looking for to protect what we have. And it is someone that is faithful and someone who fears the Lord more than they fear man. Those are the characteristics we need. We need faithful men. Psalm 12 calls that a faithful man who can find. We need faithful men faithful to his book, faithful to his mission, faithful to doing things his way. And we need men who fear the Lord more than they fear man. Because that, if you fear man more than you fear the Lord, you will succumb to culture. And you won't stand on that book. You see, Nehemiah delegated authority to the right men, and we all need to be men and women of character that are faithful to what God has called us to. And from a church perspective, this is how we pick leaders. They're proven to be faithful and to fear the Lord. God never promotes men until they're proven in those things. Right? It's a qualification of a bishop not to be a novice. It's required of deacons, First Timothy 3.10 says, And let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So the, the right people matter. And they need to be proven. They need to be proven to be faithful and that they fear the Lord. We need this structured leadership. In order to protect what we have, we need structured leadership. Leaders who will watch. Those that lead others into true worship because they truly worship themselves. And they're worthy in that they're faithful and that they fear the Lord. But the next, as we move through chapter 7, like I've already mentioned, we get to the registry of people that returned to Babylon. And Nehemiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes time to list everyone. And the, and the numbers, that return to Jerusalem, as did Ezra. You'll see a very similar list in Ezra chapter 2. And we see why, uh, he, why Nehemiah did this when we read verses 5 and 6. And God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first. He's talking about with Ezra. And found written therein, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and came again to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Judah, everyone into a city. So, so here, let me just explain very quickly what's going on. God put it on Nehemiah's heart to establish a registry of the Jews that returned from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And he found the one that Ezra had put together, and he used it as his starting place, right? Again, you're going to find that in Ezra chapter 2. Now, there are a few differences in those two registries, but that just means somebody had made adjustments to the list at some point in time. Ezra put his list together when he was leaving Babylon. Nehemiah found it in Jerusalem many years later. So likely not everyone made it or they made some edits after they got there. there. There's a few discrepancies that people will point to between the two lists, but they're easily explained by space of time between Ezra putting it together and Nehemiah finding it. But, but he, th- none of that's really the point. I just, I just wanted to note it. Here's the point that I want to make. Nehemiah wanted to make a registry. And he started with the first group that came back to Jerusalem years before he did. And when it comes to protecting our house and the future of our fellowship, that shows that, number two, complete protection comes from understanding spiritual legacy. For understanding spiritual legacy, right? Nehemiah started with a group that came back over 12 years earlier, or many years earlier, I mean, with, with Ezra. You see, it doesn't take long in reading your Bible to understand that God is very interested in people and families, and histories. And then he cares about genealogies and legacies. In fact, there is much more detail given to names and children and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so than there is to such things like, you know, the creation. I mean, think about it. With respect to the creation, we basically get one chapter. There are many chapters. It a list of people. We see like in Nehemiah chapter seven. The book of Nehemiah, at least seven of the chapters include some list. Five chapters in the book of Nehemiah are over half of the chapter as a list of names. Nehemiah's filled with them. And this is because people and children and legacies mean something to God. That's why God keeps records. In Nehemiah chapter 3, for example, there's a record of the workers on the wall. God made sure to preserve those names. And I want you to think about it. Some 2,500 years later, after the work was conducted, we're still reading about those names today. He cares about people. And he cares about relationships. And he cares about his work and his plan continuing through Generations because that's always in question. The truth is we are always only one generation away from our homes and our churches believing exactly like Andy Stanley does. Listen, many of us in this room understand that firsthand. Andy Stanley's father is Charles Stanley. He didn't teach what Andy teaches. So what are your kids and my kids going to believe about the Bible when they are 30, 40, 50? And what will they be passing down to your grandkids? You and I have a great deal of influence over that. And it's important that we don't drop the ball because if we want to protect our house, we have to understand spiritual legacies are important. The next generation won't just follow automatically. We have to teach them. We have to make disciples and live out 2 Timothy 2, 2, right? And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faith of men who shall be able to teach others also. And as most of you are aware, there are four generations in there, in that verse. That's important to pass down what we've been given. Like I mentioned to you earlier, my church has been around for 165 years. The churches you've you've been a part of have been around, you know, mostly shorter lifespan, but but they still constitute a number of years. What a legacy that is. But with that comes responsibility to keep it going. And it's not just through our physical children and our grandchildren. This is our spiritual children as well. We are talking about a spiritual legacy. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. And again, in the context of protecting our house and preserving the future. And here's the question. Who is in this room this evening because of you? Who is here because of you? Brandon gave a testimony that he's here because of Joe. Who's here because of you? How many people have you led to the Lord and introduced to your church and to this fellowship? Look around the room. Do you have a spiritual legacy here? The churches represented here have been around for years because there were Christian brothers and sisters that participated in the work of the Lord. And they evangelized and they discipled. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe you just got saved. That's what the work that you're to be a part of. Spiritual DNA has been passed down to all of us. And listen, that matters. Spiritual DNA matters. You see it in Nehemiah in chapter 7. Look at verse 63. And of the priest, the children of Habai, the children of Kaz, the children of Barzillai, which took one of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, to wife, and was called after their name. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy. But listen... It was not found there. They couldn't find their names. Therefore, were they as polluted, put from the priesthood. And this is recorded in the book of Ezra too. It's in both places. And there were some people that were saying, hey, we're priests and, and, and we should be in this genealogy, but, but their names weren't on the list because the, the, it had been polluted. Their genealogy had been polluted and they were put away from the priesthood spiritual dna is important you see the priest had to be able to prove that they were of the right lineage they had to have the right dna because in the old testament you didn't get to just decide that you wanted to be a priest there was no preschool that you could attend after high school no, you had to be born in the right line you had to be born of the tribe of levi under the law the priesthood starting with aaron was the levitical priesthood So not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. And there's a great picture in that. Because in the New Testament, one of our core doctrines is the priesthood of the believer. Right? It just means that in the New Testament, biblical Christianity, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is a priest. Peter says we are a royal priesthood. And as priests, we have direct access to God because we are in Christ, so we have direct access to God. That's what 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you have direct access to God. So that means as a spiritual priest, you are qualified to offer offerings to God. That's what the Levitical priests did. They offered the offerings. They led people into worship. Well, if, if, if you're saved, you're qualified to offer offerings to God. And how'd you get that way? Because you got the right lineage. You're born again, a new birth, a spiritual birth. First Peter: 123 says, "Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." And because of that, God has given us direct access, access to Him by being born again, and that is the picture being portrayed here in Nehemiah chapter seven. They were trying to make sure that they knew who the priests were and who, and who weren't. And they needed a record. This is a biblical principle that you even see in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16.3, for example, Paul was talking about a special offering that he had asked the churches in Galatia to raise for the believers in Jerusalem who were suffering. And look at what he says about the process of delivery of this offering. 1 Corinthians 16.3, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality out of Jerusalem. You see, the guys delivering the money needed to have a letter to prove they were who they said they were. And Paul didn't know all of them. And they needed a letter from the church to vouch for them. So there's a biblical principle here of there being a certification. You are who you claim to be, because there are false professors of Jesus Christ everywhere. And you need to know that God knows. There's a letter of certification for you to prove that you are who you say you are. You see, God has a record of those who are His. God has a record of those who are His. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus? They were excited about you know, the, the preaching tour that He had sent them out on, and they were, they were doing some cool things. But look at what the Lord said unto them when they came back to talk about all that was happening Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. That's what you need to rejoice in. So so I'd be negligent not to ask, is yours? Is your name written in heaven? Is your name in the book of life? It is if you have been born again. But if you have not been born again, then it isn't. God knows who are his. And if you aren't his, Revelation 20 verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. See, the consequences are dire. And eternity's a long time. You you shouldn't overlook forever. And just because your name might be written on a church roll, that won't get you into heaven. That doesn't matter. God's list is the only one that matters. Are you on it? And if you are on it, are you passing down your DNA to others? Because spiritual legacies and genealogies matter. And if we don't understand that, then our house is at risk. And proving that out, is some, a mission God's given us, There's one more area of protection that Nehemiah discusses at the end of this chapter, and this gives us our our last element of protection. And that is complete protection comes from understanding sincere liberality. And by sincere liberality, I mean joyful giving. We already saw the word liberality used in the context of giving in 1 Corinthians 16.3, and in 2 Corinthians 8.2, it says, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. And starting at verse 66 of Nehemiah 7, Nehemiah begins to summarize all the numbers, and he includes the the numbers related to giving to the project. So listen to me. God even keeps giving records. God keeps giving records. Look at verse 70. And some of the chief of the fathers gave unto the work. Tarshatha gave to the treasure a thousand drams of gold, 50 basins, 530 priest garments. And some of the chief of the fathers gave to the treasurer of the work 20,000 drams of gold and 2,200 pounds of silver. And that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 drams of gold and 2,000 pounds of silver and three score and seven priest garments. And they gave. And the truth is, if we're going to preserve our house and preserve what we have for future generations and leave them with the right legacy and the right Bible, it it takes all of us giving of our time, of our talent, and our treasure, of giving of ourselves, of our lives, all in. And it starts with the leaders, that's a must, but it includes everyone. The people of Israel gave to something that was bigger than them because they believed in it so much. And one reason why at least my church, 165 years old, is still around today and still believe and teaches the Bible is because there have been a lot of people that went before us that understood this principle. And, and we meet in the building that we meet in today, as some of you meet in the building that you meet in today, because generations have sacrificed and given to the work of the Lord. And maybe that's your generation. Praise the Lord for that. And listen, even if you're currently a faithful giver of your money and your time, all of it, this is a question we always need to be asking ourselves. Are we being faithful in this area? This matters for our children and how they see us participating, both physically and spiritual, both physical children and spiritual children. Now listen, you might wonder, man, I, I don't know, at least you know, financially, how I can always give cheerfully. You know, and I don't know if you've seen those inflation numbers lately. They're a little bit high. It's a little harder to get by than it used to. And I get it. But listen, I want you to think about it this way. This is how your liberality can be sincere and how your giving can be cheerful. Think about this. Everyone who comes through our doors and gets saved through a service or one of the ministries of our churches, it was something that you paid for. There are people that connect with us and find our churches through our websites and, and through the blogs and through everything that Brandon and his teams do and the books that you paid for. People have met with pastors and received training to start churches all over the world that you paid for and are still paying for. Others have come and received healing from the Lord while, while their babies were comfortable in nurseries and children, children's rooms that you paid for. Folks have been given thousands of Bibles all over the world that you paid for. Because even though you might not know these people, you've loved them through the liberality and giving your money to getting people across this country and across this entire world. It gives them free access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, that should give you great cheer. What else are you going to do with it? How much pleasure does that boat bring you? Listen, what, what's better than funding people going to heaven, funding people learning their Bible so that lives all over the world are forever changed? And listen, of course, I'm not saying that we're buying people into heaven or, or into learning the Bible, but, but listen, our money that goes to our ministries and our missionaries makes a real difference in the lives of people. And that is awesome. It's all God's money anyway. But in the end, what a joy it is, and what a privilege it is to be able to give it back to the Lord and participate in that way, and in doing so, protecting our house and setting it up to glorify the Lord for future generations. If somehow He decides to tarry His coming, let's be a part of those things. does a matter for eternity. Are you on board with your leadership? and the structure that God set up? Do you desire to be that, to be a person that will watch, that will worship, and that is worthy, someone that is faithful to God's book, faithful to God's men, and someone that fears the Lord? Overfearing man, and willing to stand in a gap, and willing to make hard decisions. Are you willing to be that man? Do you have, or are you leaving behind a legacy Are you you one of God's? He knows who are His. Is your name written in heaven? And if so, that means you have spiritual DNA in you. Are you passing it down? Do you have someone or some people coming behind you that matters? Don't let it die with you. Leave a legacy, leave a genealogy. How great will the judgment seat of Christ be if you have a a legacy of your spiritual DNA and someone else and others? And are you all in on the mission even with respect to your money? Given of your time, given of the talents that God's given you, remember you were created for his pleasure, not for your own. Those things will protect what we have. If we're all about that, it'll protect what we what we have here. And I'm telling you, all we have is something special. And if you don't know it, I hope you hear me tonight. Let's not screw it up. Let's not let it die with us. Let's go ahead and have the praise team come back up. And we're gonna don't clap. Don't clap. We're not done. <laughs> I'm not done. I mean, we are done. But but listen, we're going to close out this service in song, and 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 I just want you to use this time. Listen, we got two more nights, and, and there's a lot more that, that we're going to talk about. Tonight was a foundation. But if if the Lord has spoke to you tonight, and you have business to do with Him, why not do that tonight? Why wait till tomorrow night or why wait till Friday night to get right with the Lord? Listen, if, if he has placed something in your heart and, and he is convicting you of something you need to change, if, if you need to get behind your leaders or if you need to be part of the next generation of leaders and that, that you will be willing to learn that book so that you can be a watchman and that... You, you'll be a, a worshiper, a true worshiper yourself, and can lead others in that, and the people are around you are brought closer to God. And, are, and if you need to get your life right so that you can be worthy, you can be considered faithful, someone that fears the Lord. Man, do that tonight. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and sing and, and again. Let's go ahead. Do we want everyone to stand, Eric? Yes. Let's stand. But if you have business, if you have business to do with the Lord, this is open. You can turn your chair into a pew. Just do what you need to do with the Lord.